Thank you for joining us on our 13th episode of Yes, That Actually Happened. Jay was unable to make it this week, so instead we are joined by another Aaron as a special guest. It's me, Aaron. So, what's your favorite part of learning history? Um, at the moment, I, I get to... Uh... Enjoy it. Today's episode is a two-part episode about the history of both wine in general, a collection of historical facts, and then the history of wine in Michigan. Make sure you check out Jay's podcast, High School Author Wannabe, as well as live stream on their Twitch account about the queer experience. This episode is, of course, inspired by our recent trip to Traverse City. Stay tuned at the end of the episode for specific recommendations of places I went to. If you ever want to plan to visit the area, I will say that we will be enjoying glasses of Music Box, which came from what winery? Dublon. That was down in St. Joseph, though, not Traverse City, but still very delicious. I also want to encourage all our viewers to reach out with us for any ideas or reviews. Find us on Twitter at YTAH Podcast, Instagram at Yes That Actually Happened, or email Yes That Actually Happened Podcast at gmail.com. With that said, let's get started with today's topic. Wine has been around for obviously a really long time. The earliest evidence that can be found of wine production comes from 8,000 to 7,000 BC, which includes Georgia and China. Other early players included, but aren't limited to, Iran, Armenia, Sicily, and Greece, all around 4,000 BC, give or take a couple hundred years. The oldest official winery was in Armenia in 4,100 BC, which was discovered only 14 years ago. I'm sure this wine was very different from how it is today. I guess these were just jars that were submerged in dirt to allow the fruit to ferment. Although, according to my research, they still actually do that in the country of Georgia. Interesting. That sounds like how you make uh, toilet wine. You just put grape juice in something and submerge it. No. I would no, I do not partake into that wine. Too much TV. There have been wine grapes on every continent except Antarctica, for obvious reasons. While the conquistadors have, say, a shady past of how they treated the locals when they traveled to the so-called New World, they did bring over grapevines that allowed it to spread from South America to North America. So we can at least thank them for that. Nice. During the Middle Ages, wine making in Europe was also done in monasteries. Not the only place it was done, but they were really well known for doing it. The ones most well known for it was the Cisertians. Um, Cisertarian, yes. Cister, yeah. And the Benedictines. Wine has played a large role in religion, besides just being produced in it. Obviously, you have the Eucharist in the Catholic Christian churches, but also in Jewish ceremonies. And it was a large part of ancient Roman Greece. They had, obviously, specific gods dedicated to wine that they held festivals for. I'm sure those were crazy parties. Egyptians used it in ceremonies because it's resemblance to blood, so kind of like how Christianity does it. They even used it to wash the corpses when they were mummifying bodies. It sounds like they're just, each culture is giving reasons to make it socially acceptable to consume large quantities of alcohol. I don't know if you'd consider washing out the inside of a dead body consuming alcohol. Fair. This was actually a special wine, palm wine. It was very well known in Egypt and something the only the super special dead people had since it was very expensive. This is a quote by the Egyptologist Salima Ikrim. The cavity is then thoroughly cleaned and washed out, firstly with palm wine and then again with an infusion of ground spices. After that is filled with pure myrrh, cassia, and every other aromatic substance, excepting frankincense and sewn up again. It really sounds like they're just making stew, like an alcoholic stew. Oh, you just have to to cook it until the 
alcohol burns off. That's how it works. You're dehydrating the body. You're not cooking the body. Well, close. They also buried jars of wine with the dead. I guess one ruler, Scorpion One, was buried with 700 jars of wine to take with him to the afterlife. Obviously, when they dug him up, by then the wine was gone, but he was buried with 700 full jars of he wine. Drank 700 jars of wine? It was gone? Now for the history of wine in health and celebrations. Roman soldiers were encouraged to drink several glasses of wine a day for good health. Kind of like how people say a glass of red wine is good for your heart. Which, to be clear, not advocating. Talk to your physician. Mm. So also in terms of health, the Greeks had an interesting use of wine within the practice of medicine. Do you know anything about the four humors? Um, I know we all have a humor bone, so I got one humor. Okay. Well, it all started in Greece, although some of the ideas did translate to Europe in the Middle Ages. Doctors basically thought the body was made up of four main things. Blood, black bile, yellow bile, and phlegm. Wow, they were very observant. They really had detail on their side. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they overlooked nothing. It plays off the idea of the four elements, fire, air, water, earth, hot, cold, etc. Many of the Ill- illnesses back then were thought to be an imbalance of the humors, basically where bloodletting came from. You know, if you got sick, they might think that you have too much blood in your bodies, like fever, you're too hot, so they mm. get rid of it. Which makes sense if you're going at it from their point of view. And remember, they only are working off of what they had back then. And whatever anyone told them that convinced them of. I mean, there was no verification process. It was like, oh, that's a good convincing story. I believe you're a triple PhD. Uh, I'll, I'll, you can let my blood out until I die. That sounds smart. Anyways, basically, they thought that insufficient blood could be made up by drinking wine. And if you had too much blood, you could also get rid of it by drinking a little less wine. The French surgeon Henri de Modville said, good wine is the most appropriate food for generating blood and consequently for generating flesh. I know, again, it sounds ridiculous to us now, but again, give them the benefit of the doubt. This was many years ago. Now, let's step away from medicine, as there will be plenty for the topic next week, and on to using wine to celebrate. Rome is where the custom of toasting started, or at least where the name came from, something about using toasted bread to get rid of acidity levels in their wine. A similar vein, the reason that we drink to good health and clink glasses with no force started from the practice, actually, of the host drinking first to prove that he wasn't about to poison his guests. Basically, the idea is that you clink the glasses and slosh, you know, share wine, share whatever you're drinking into each other's cups. So basically, the idea is if you poisoned me, we clink glasses, my wine gets in your wine, you're then poisoning yourself, too. Right. But we're using modern, delicate glasses, so that would shatter the glasses to achieve that. Yes, I know, obviously, they used different glasses back then. They had wood glasses or stone glasses or metal, metal glasses, whatever. Either way, it's the idea of it. But couldn't you just, like, put poison in yours, clink it, and then pretend to drink after they drink? You're like, oh, well, look, it's, uh, don't know what happened, but uh, I drink mine, and I'm fine, so it must have just been his. I will remember to watch out for drinking anything you pour me in the future. No, it's not. I pour it, to, I pour it in my glass, and then I clink it into your glass. And you do the fake out. You, oh, this is so much in my mouth, and then there's nothing there. And you just, you know, drool it out on the floor or whatever you need Viewers, to do. if I'm not here to do the podcast next week, you know why. It was music box, I swear. Wine even has a significant backstory in the history of the United States. When they signed the Declaration of Independence, they toasted with Madria. Although, to be fair, they did a lot of heavy drinking when they celebrated the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I guess that the 
55 people who stayed in the tavern drank 171 bottles of alcohol over the weekend. It's pretty good. Sounds like a Andre the Giant size uh, party. The bill preserved actually says 54 bottles of Madria, 60 bottles of Claret, 8 bottles of whiskey, 22 bottles of porter, 8 bottles of cider, 12 beers, and 7 bowls of alcoholic punch. I mean, I feel like it's probably mostly drink by them, but I'm pretty sure people are stuffing that in their coats and taking it with them. So, like, I'll, I'll give it, like, a, a 90% of that went to actual party and 10% of it got, like, snuck home. Because why not? You're at a castle there from this. Not a castle. This is Declaration of Independence there oh, in Philadelphia. This sorry. is all the people who signed the Declaration of Independence. Sorry, I was still caught on that whole castle drinking glasses thing. <laughs> oh, that would be cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're heavy drinkers. Before we continue on with our second segment on the history of wine in Michigan, we have some fun wine facts. And Aaron knows this one too. The difference. Fact, wine is delicious. Wine is very delicious. Uh, the difference between red and white wine is not the color of the grapes, which we learned on a wine tour we took a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. This... Did you want to say how it is? You add all the twigs and berries. Like, instead of just putting the grapes in, they're just like, ah, oh, cut the vine at the root and, you know, shake off the dirt and throw it in the, t- in the still and call it a day. And that's how skin. it is. Skin. Skin. Twigs and skin. We're, we're... Twigs and skin. I, yes, you're not getting the roots. So they're getting, like, bits and pieces of the branches just go in there, and that gives you the flavor. Like you're you're tasting in that pinot that 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 is the branch. You're like, mm, this is a good branch with you know wine around it. It's similar to how apple juice is just the juice of apples, and cider is incorporating the entire apple. So the color doesn't come from the grape; it comes from the fact that the skin is getting processed with yeah. the wine. It's also where you get all the tannin for the red wine. It takes one cluster or about seventy five grapes to make. One glass of wine, which was more than I actually thought it would be. Well, how many grapes are, are on a, a, a an area section? Because you know, oh my god, it's just like Jay. You guys ask me questions that I don't have answers to. I did not take down the entire. I'm, no, I'm 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 just thinking. Can I make this? If I how much how much area does it take to make seventy five grapes? Because if I can just you know put up a couple grapes, it's stocks. one cl- it's one cluster. And cluster. there's a couple clusters on vines. We'll, just go to, we'll start off at the grocery store and we'll, and we'll make them. From nope. There. Wine grapes are different than grocery store grapes. Wine facts. Galileo is quoted as saying, wine is sunlight held together by water. I agree with him. He's correct on this. Mm -hmm. You also can apparently buy a wine-flavored Kit Kat in Japan. So if we have any Japanese listeners who want to send some our way, not sure how that would actually taste. We'll try it. We'll go for it. Also, there is the idea that wine tastes better the older they are. I know you've looked for certain bottles of different years when we've had the choice, but I guess about 90% of wine should be drank within a year of its creation. That sounds right. I believe some vintages are made to be shelved and not necessarily, you know, the $10 bottle of wine isn't made to be shelved for, you know, very long. But if you're going to go out and buy a $500 bottle of wine on a limited release, the venture, the guy making the wine will probably tell you, like, keep it for a couple of years or, you know, um, now, the detail of that as far as which grapes and how the process works, I don't know what separates that, but there are some wines that are, are bred to be shelved for longer. 
Moving on to the next section. Mm -hmm. This last week, we spent a few days in Traverse City in the north part of the Lower Peninsula. Now, grapes from wine need a very specific environment to grow and thrive. The area up near Traverse City is perfect for grapes. The first recording of them trying to make wine in that area was in 1679, although it took a while for it to really take off. Prohibition began in Michigan in 1917, put a stop to this venture when alcohol became illegal, during this time, since vineyards couldn't make wine out of grapes, or at least not much, they sold most of their crop to grape juice companies, although I guess sacramental wine for religion was still allowed because of religious purposes. Yes, that so, is true. So I'm assuming someone would have had no license or permission to make enough wine for that, but not enough to share for the companies. And it's wine wasn't something during that time that was like, you know, people were smuggling in on the lakes. It was a miracle that they actually survived this time. I have a theory that they call blessings wine. So many blessings to you, my friend, would be many bottles of wine. Then you go around the back after you take, you know. Yeah, it's blessings are wine, yeah. So so if, if you're blessed, I'm, I'm ranting here. I'm just going to add more wine to my glass. Sorry. There are two really big specialties of styles of wine that Michigan is most known for, ice wine and fruit wine. Ice wine in this area was first made in 1983 at the Chateau Grand Traverse, which unfortunately we did not have time to hit. Although the Germans were the first to invent ice wine, the grapes are picked when they are completely frozen, although they can also be artificially frozen. And it creates a very, very sweet dessert style wine, which I think is one of your mom's favorite. Correct. Fruit wine is also another big seller where other fruit is either at the star or mixed in as a blend with the grapes. One of the most popular varieties is cherries, since Traverse City, of course, is well known for the cherries it grows and holds a cherry festival every year, which first began in 1925. I don't think they had it last year, though, because of the pandemic. If you want to investigate more on this, there is a book called The History of Michigan Wines, 150 Years of Winemaking Along the Great Lakes. They also usually have a wine festival every year, and the month of May is considered Wine Month in Michigan, where you can score some great deals at participating tasting rooms and wineries. So what was your favorite winery that we visited on the trip? Uh, overall, uh, I take in the actual location, the venue, and the environment, the staff, and, and then the actual wine I'm drinking or the alcohol. That would be Soul Squeeze Cellars. Yes, you've heard it, Soul Squeeze Cellars. That's two S's and a C. They have a good red. The parable I found quite delicious. Uh, their most most of their menu is derived from uh, ciders and whites, but the red was phenomenal, so I, I could not resist. And their location is wonderful. That was true. And I had a lot of great ciders there. I would say the 45 North was my favorite to mm -hmm. go to. And their strawberry wine at that particular one was fantastic and tastes like fresh picked strawberries. And I would, the feel of the soul squeeze is more uh, a very modern take on a, on a wine tasting room versus 45 was your classic but they both had a good feel to them. I mean, I would definitely go back to either one of them without a hesitation. Uh, they each had something different to offer and as far as what they had. I mean, the, the 45, there's sparkling was phenomenal. If either of you guys feel like sending us stuff, we will happily taste it and let other people know all about your delicious products. We'll use words to describe it and tell you how it tastes. It'll be excellent, and you'll want to do this. All right. So if you would like some source material to do in research, again, you can drop by our website. If you would like to support us and get access to fun show notes, doodles, bloopers, and bonus episodes, find me on Buy Me a Coffee and Patreon. The lowest 
membership level is a dollar a month for the bloopers. Thank you again for listening and stay tuned for episodes dealing with the history of modern surgery. And don't forget to check out Jay's podcast.